And I wanted to take a little bit of time in the beginning just to thank everyone who reached out after the last two floors. Um, They were a bit personal to me, but I kind of got a astounding response from a lot of the listeners. Um, People who resonated with what I was saying, people who didn't realize that that was something that black women could go through or were going through. And a lot of empathy around the fact that I'd have to deal with that in the office place while trying to do my job as well. And so uh, those comments and feedback were really appreciative. So thank you. Um, But again, I'm kind of piggybacking off the same topic, but in a much more broad way. So if floor 45 and floor 46 weren't for you, that's completely fine. I was listening to a podcast I love um, just the other day, and it reminded me that sometimes you can be listening to your favorite podcast and you can be, you know, hearing what they're talking about that certain episode and think, I do not resonate with that. That does not resonate within me. This is not for me. This was for someone else. And so, and then the next episode was definitely for me, and I loved it. So bear with me if, you know, acting white or code switching wasn't your cup of tea this isn't necessarily the same thing with the end of the year kind of slowly on the tails of a lot of us if you work for a company with a weird fiscal year this may not necessarily apply to you but I want to keep want you to keep it in your back pocket this week I wanted to talk about office politics now I know that this is a podcast for young black women in corporate America but I think it's very fair to say um everyone struggles with office politics i mean old young black white female male it doesn't escape you you know we all have to play and it's never easy however there are definitely different rules depending on what demographic you do fit in and if you fit into some unlucky intersection of that congrats you've won the office politics Olympic qualifiers and it's an uphill battle, baby. You know, being liked, obeying office politics and kind of maintaining whatever social order is there within your office space is often viewed more importantly than the actual tangibles of your job or the executional pieces that you actually deliver. I think a lot of times it gets brought up in corporate America about what kind of team player you are or what are you contributing to the office outside of the, you know, pen to paper or fingers to keyboard work that comes out of the stuff that you do. And for some people, that's fine. They are really good people people. They um, enjoy that aspect of the work culture. And so... 
they don't think twice about it. Or I won't say they don't think twice about it. They do not have to work hard at it. But I think it's still top of mind, top of funnel as far as things that you're supposed to do, things that you're not supposed to do. How do you maintain a balance of order and control, but also being in the role that you're supposed to be in based on these societal ideas and rules. And unfortunately, I think black women are heavily scrutinized in this game, um, for lack of better words, but it is a game. It is a game, right? You know, we want to think of corporate America and going to work and doing your job as entering in, doing the thing that you agreed to do, and then leaving. But let's be real, that's never been anyone's job in corporate America. And if it is, please send me a link to your openings. <laughs> but no, black women are definitely held to a different professional standard. You know, we're constantly fighting you know, negative stereotypes that people expect from us. And so, you know, how do you balance and execute when those things are what you're being judged on? And for the most part, we aren't taught the rules or given that cultural capital prior to us getting into these areas. You know, it's it's showing up to the table and everyone's playing Uno no one told you the agreed upon rules. And for my audience that's not so black, uh, Uno has several different sets of rules. And depending on what your agreed upon group says, you know, you can stack numbers, you can stack colors, you can, you know, build upon other things. And some rules, you can't do any of that. It is plain to the core what Uno wrote on their instruction piece. But Uno doesn't know what they're doing. They don't actually know they own games. So that's not on us. But I think a lot of times people kind of go into the game thinking, okay, I'll understand what rules these are and we'll go through it. And I think sometimes in corporate America, we don't always have that conversation up front on what are those rules. You kind of have to fail and observe as you go or stay so below the radar that you don't rock the boat before you get to an observation of what are the expectations here and how can I fit them? But I've talked about this a number of times. When you are a small minority in a space, sometimes it is difficult to get the mannerisms and the mechanisms that are needed to succeed and to find those those cultural openings. And so when you're just trying to observe or fly under the radar, sometimes you think that that's the best option just so that you can understand and see who the players are in the game and how to work it. But it also has a negative impact too because if people don't think that you're not jumping right in to be, you know, what the expectation would be if it's cheery or helpful, uh, you can get, you know, negative feedback or um, criticism for your lack of, Um, participation and that's so not fair because a lot of times we also get this unspoken criticism of you know clinging to people in in spaces that you're kind of used to 
you know when you are in the office and you're doing your own thing and then all of a sudden you see another black woman or another black person in general and you're just like yes and you're so excited and you're like I wonder what they're into I wonder what they think about everyone and you know you start to try to build a relationship with them but in your head once you've developed that relationship you don't try to sit there too long right if you're ever you know in congregation with a few black people and you guys are enjoying it you're kikiing it up and you're having a good time do you ever get that sense and that feeling that if you hang out too long all of a sudden people don't think that you're doing your job you know you start to get that I really need you to focus on you know a b and c um, as much as you are you know enjoying your group of friends but that's never the case if you're the lone black person in a group of white people who are enjoying themselves and taking that, you know, much needed mental break from the actual tangibles of your job. But with a sense of, you know, a small minority of people who are enjoying themselves, the majority start to feel othered. And that office politic plays heavily into it. So you never truly stay too long. Or enjoy it too much further. You know, you always get that realization of, okay, we need to have... And I've personally felt that all my life. Not just in office, but the ways that you can't make the majority feel other. You know, growing up, like I said, I had white friends and I had black friends. And so, you know, when I got to college, I absolutely could be invited to, you know, a party at some white fraternity with my friends and be the only black person in a room and I made myself feel comfortable you know I try to have a good time I enjoy it but no one else in that room ever thinks wow that black girl must be really lonely or she may feel uncomfortable however if I were to invite a white friend to an all-black party I would constantly be worried or feel responsible for their outsiderness you know, how uncomfortable do they feel? And I've experimented with it before and done it. And you always get at the end of the night. I felt so unsafe. I felt like everyone was looking at me. I felt like people didn't want me to be there, or that I didn't belong. They were nice, but I got this feeling. And it's an eye opener every time for them when I go, yes, that is how I feel every time I'm with you. You and your friends are nice, but I'm always looked at in some other light. And it's just expected of me to ignore it. But that aspect is no different in corporate America either. However, the power players oftentimes are the ones making the rules as far as what you can do and what you can't do. So if they feel othered, they can punish you for it or make corrections to that behavior in a way that directly influences maybe your performance review or, you know, one of your strengths and weaknesses and that part of the conversation comes up. And they can, and once it's with a performance review, they can directly correlate it to what kind of raise you get. So you either course correct or, you know, you have an honest conversation and there are a lot of options for that. But like it doesn't stop like the feeling of 
singleness, you know, or that loneliness. And others who do that corrective behavior actually other themselves from black people. You know, you kind of get that sense of crabs in a barrel. You can't all make it out, right? If there's room for one person to succeed of color, it's going to be me. So I'm going to distance myself from all of the other ones who are having too much of a good time or finding comfort with others who understand um, where you're coming from or a similar background. And that tokenism that you've placed on yourself, but also that the whole office kind of forced you into, it's not necessarily something you want to do, but you may feel like that's absolutely your only step to continue to succeed or climb that corporate ladder. Which personally to me is bullshit because there's more than enough room at the table and black people are so creative and inventive. If there isn't enough room at the table, we tend to make another table and we tend to climb through that. So I know that there are better ways to handle it and to approach it, but we're all just trying to do our best and trying to find ways to succeed as we go through this. And kind of like I mentioned, there's no blueprint. There's no rule manual that they give you before you start working. So everyone's just figuring it out on their own. But it's heavy. And I'm not saying that my approach is any better. You know, I've been labeled in this office politic world um, based on just my candor and my directness. And unfortunately for black women, if you're too truthful, if you're too, if you don't sugarcoat things the right way, you have to be aware of the angry black woman stereotype. Though those attributes that I just mentioned, candor, directness, truthfulness, aren't inherently bad, they're bad for someone like me. And so if I was a white man who was direct, honest, risk-taking, you know, those things would be rewarded. But as a black woman, I have to be overly aware of when I'm doing that. Just the other day, I, for the new listeners, I am a senior product manager, so I work in the tech world, but I essentially own a set of work processes for a group of engineers or developers, but I do not actually have any direct reports, which is perfect for me. I get all of the authority with none of the responsibility, but I work with a group of eight engineers to do the work that we need to do, and I'm directly held accountable for what's turned around and what's not. So I have to work in a balanced team to make sure that everything is happening together. And a lot of times I heavily rely on my technology partners for some of the things that are deeper. But what I've been noticing in my new job and in my new space is that my lead will blow me off or blow off meetings without any communication or reason why. It's always a game. Are they going to show up? And I have been trying to find different ways to make mention of that to not only my leadership, but his leadership as well, of what can we do to make sure that, you know, the developers aren't suffering from meeting fatigue. I don't want them in a thousand meetings, 
But I do need them in the important ones where there's design happening and stuff that directly influences the work that we're doing. And so I made mention yesterday to the manager and to that engineer that, you know, if the meetings that I'm doing are a conflict, I just need to know. I can absolutely move them. I can make it fit your work stream and I can make it fit your timing. And the IT manager was like, no, that makes absolute sense. Um, I think they were working on a deployment, but they just need to communicate that with you. And I was like, absolutely, thank you. And I moved on. But then later, I had a grown man throw a temper tantrum on me. You know, oh, so-and-so needs to do this or so-and-so needs to do this. But making that meeting was so important. And I was taken aback because I couldn't believe that someone in a professional setting would be trying to throw something in my face when all we're all trying to do is get to the same place. I'm only asking for a little communication. If I wasn't doing that, I'd be put on some sort of PIP, you know, a performance improvement planner, or I would have to have a talking to, or it would come up in my yearly review of my performance. But when I brought this to his manager and to my manager, you know, the kind of conversation was, well, you know, we don't really want to upset him. We don't want to lose another engineer. And that all plays into this whole great resignation thing where like, I'm absolutely 100% behind. If you are not happy where you are, leave. But I think weak management has taken that and started kowtowing to people's poor behavior. But instead of me having to be like, dude, do your job and don't complain about it. If it's too much, maybe you don't need to be in a leadership position. Maybe we need to find someone else to be in a leadership position. Maybe you need to be doing something where you love to only do A, B, and C, which is absolutely a fair assessment. You aren't meant to lead. You're meant to execute, and that's fine. A lot of people find that that's their sweet spot. Like I said, I don't necessarily want direct reports right now. I want to be able to do the work, come up with strategy, be in the mix, but I don't really care if I need to approve your vacation time or that your brother's moved in and you're having a hard time with that. Like that's all lovely and dandy, but I don't care right now about that personal part to strangers. This is not my swing. So I stay in roles and in positions that make sense for what I want. The same could be said for others, but I wasn't allowed to go about that because again, it plays into that angry black woman stereotype and that means that I'm not a team player or I don't know how to nurture relationships. So after I brought it to my manager and to his IT manager and I saw nothing was being done, I had to step away. I just stop. I do calm down because one, the first thing I want to do with anybody, regardless of office politics, is if you want to throw a temper tantrum with me, I can throw one bigger. I'm not Michelle Obama. When you go low, I go lower. Okay. But I'm having to work on that and make sure that I understand what are the expectations for me. So I set up a one-on-one with him for the next day when cooler heads would prevail. And I'm going to be honest about why I made the call out, what I need from him, what I expect from him, why I expect it. And smoothly have that conversation give him a space to share why he's overwhelmed why he thought a temper tantrum was necessary 
you know, treat people with the respect I want. Because I get it. He's overwhelmed. He's stretched too thin. But I'm not the cause of that, so I shouldn't have been the recipient from it. But I'm, I've found ways throughout my career that I can't just do what another manager would do or what a white male manager could do. I have to find ways to win people over in different and smaller ways and hope that that plays into the expectation of what my role is so that I can be looked upon fondly. You know, I don't have the opportunity to throw a temper tantrum when things are going bad. I don't really have the opportunity to ever be upset about anything. You know, I talked about it in episode 46, but black women and other people of color often have to deal with, you know, straddling the real world of like racism and things that are outside and handholding, you know, everyone else in the office. I don't think people realize how many times microaggressions and conversations of like the real world truly affect our ability to do our job. And we're not allowed to respond the way if it happened to a white person, they would be allowed to respond. You know, when George Floyd happened, you know, we either had to deal with, you know, our new woke besties, you know, quote unquote, people who just woke up and realized, oh my God, racism is real. And we have to handhold them through it. Or you're stuck with a guy who thinks it's funny to make jokes or, you know, bring up, oh, I can't breathe and then chuckle as if someone losing their life in such a violent manner is any way close to funny. But also we have to think about before, you know, George Floyd, when we were just in the office, I would get jokes about affirmative action from the guy who thinks it's so funny And he knows I work circles around him, but it's his way of coping with what's going on and trying to other me. But like, let's not forget those capital stormers or the insurrectionists. They look like and very well could possibly be our coworkers. And your clueless team may force you to sit through, you know, uncomfortable conversations or talk about the remedial things that are going on when in real life important things are there and you can't respond in an honest and truthful way because whatever happens can directly reflect on your work performance or your next promotion or even worse, your demotion or termination. So like, Those are the things that we're constantly having to battle and compete with. And it's, it's not fair. However, my advice is kind of do the same thing. What are people's expectations of you? Try to source it out. Be observant. Watch how, unfortunately, others are being treated in the same situation, but based on different demographics. You know, are women supported and being strong and making direct conversation are they not then you may have to work around either what you how what your approach is for those situations and I'm not saying to ignore what your instincts are you know like I said with the same situation with my engineer I'm not letting it go I'm having a conversation to clear the air and make sure that everyone's on the same place but I'm nurturing that relationship as I was so lovingly reminded is what we wanted to do but also making sure that my point of view is being seen and heard. It's a two-way street. You just have to identify what people want from you and try to make it fit 
who you truly are. I don't want you to lose any authenticity about who you are, but you may need to find different ways for it to come out. And that's all I've got for you guys this week. Thank you. Thank you for your feedback. Um, For those of you who reached out, if you really enjoyed Floor 45 and Floor 86, or if you've ever enjoyed Corporate Courtney, please give me a five-star review in whatever app that you are listening to, or leave that actual written review. Um, Those things are very appreciated as well. So subscribe, vote, review, all of it. Um, Very much so appreciate it. But if you also have any feedback um, or you want to get in touch with me about episodes you want to hear about or topics that you enjoy or to piggyback on any of the conversations we've had recently, um, feel free to reach out to me at email. Um, you can find me at thecorporatecourtneypodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on social media at underscore corporate court. That's both for Twitter and Instagram. But otherwise, thank you all for listening again. I hope you all enjoyed this one, and I will talk to you all later. Toodles!